Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! You got it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Element. Check this out, Jay. I haven't even cleared this with Element, but I think we should say Element, entertainment in your mouth. I think that's fair because when it does hit your mouth, it's so dang entertaining. And the first time you drink it, you're sort of shocked because it tastes so good. I always struggle to drink enough water when I find I'm entertained, not only to absorb the water and feel better. I use it as an electrolyte when I'm training and afterwards, but it's delicious. And I find it's delicious. Little known fact, we do drink a lot of bubbly water around our house. And um, sometimes we think maybe that's not the best way to hydrate. And part of the reason is that we want to be entertained, which is why we've switched to drinking Element. You know, one of the things that I was just talking about with someone is the quality of their tissues matter. And, you know, little known fact, here's here's a fun fact about science. Your body makes four liters of lymphatic fluid a day. That's the fluids that are basically your sewage system. Is that what causes cankles? Uh, failure to evacuate that causes cankles. But guess what happens when you drink a bunch of water and absorb that water? What? You feel awesome, and you actually move that congestion out of your body. Organ function is better. You got to drink the water, and it's more fun if it's entertaining. Entertaining. We literally drink this stuff every day. If you want to get some Element, right now you can order a sample pack for just the price of shipping, which is $5 in the U.S. Their sample packs include eight packets, so you can try each of their eight flavors. Go to thereadystate.com slash free element. That's free L-M-N-T to check it out. This episode of The Ready State is brought to you by Virtual Mobility Coach. This may sound crazy, but last year, I kind of tried to clone my husband. Awesome. Only kind of, though. You see, Kelly gets dozens of requests every day for help. And even though he wants to give everyone his personal attention, there just aren't enough hours in the day. So I typed in how to clone a human being into Google. Just kidding, but in seriousness, what we did do was create our Virtual Mobility Coach platform. It's like having a virtual Kelly Star ad in your pocket. Which obviously everyone needs. I mean, that's right. I personally create over 600 mobility protocols for the virtual mobility coach. So the platform can help you with almost any movement problem imaginable. For example, let's say you're in pain. The VMC will show you a diagram of the human body. All you have to do is click where it hurts. And from there, we'll serve you up a customized pain prescription we call Mobility RX. The virtual mobility coach can also help you warm up and cool down when you exercise. Every day, we provide fresh pre- and post-workout mobilizations for more than four dozen sports and movements. Plus, on your days off, we even have a video called Daily Maintenance to help you relax and recover so you can get back 100% in record time. Best of all, right now you can try Virtual Mobility Coach free for two whole weeks. So you can check out everything it has to offer without paying a penny. Claim your free 14-day trial of Virtual Mobility Coach now. Go to thereadystate.com slash free trial. That's thereadystate.com slash free trial. And we'll see you inside. Dean Pullman has made a name for himself as the go-to internet yoga instructor for men and those interested in improving their fitness with yoga. His first internationally published book, Yoga Fitness for Men, was published in 2018 and has since been translated into French, German, and Mandarin. His second book, Yoga for Athletes, was internationally published in December 2021. His DVD series, Body by Yoga, includes multiple top 10 best-selling programs made for all fitness levels, and his website, manflowyoga.com, is one of the most popular resources on the internet for on-demand, fitness-centric yoga workouts and programs. Dean has worked with physical therapists to create yoga programs for back health and spinal recovery. 
A former collegiate lacrosse player, his workouts and programs have been used by professional and collegiate athletes, athletic trainers, and personal trainers, and have been recommended by physical therapists, doctors, chiropractors, and other medical professionals. And his work has been featured in Muscle and Fitness Magazine, Men's Health, The Chicago Sun, New York Magazine, and many other major news media outlets. Dan is an ERYT 200 certified yoga instructor. He lives in Austin with his wife, Marissa, their son, Declan, and their two dogs, Flotron and Kaya. Dean, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Nice to see you. Last time we, you and I were together in person, we were having a pigeon off on the floor in the back of a hall. That was where like our bromance really began. And I was Can like, Can you explain Who? what a pigeon off is? <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, it's where I walk up to Mosia. I say, I see your pigeon is strong. <laughs> we were at a big traffic conversions digital marketing, marketing thing, conference thing. And there's always one guy in the back, me, who refuses to sit in a chair. And it's like, I might as well use this time to open up my hips. But there was already a guy taking my spot. And it was Dean. He was already doing my thing. And I was like, <laughs> am I going to copy this guy? And already I was like, I know you, man. So that that yeah, was yeah. that was the beginning. Well, and then once we found you, then we were like, you know, we just decided you were in our group for the rest of the thing and the rest of the conference. And then we were together. That was awesome. That was probably the coolest part of the conference was that I actually got to hang out with you guys, you know, more than just a few back and forth messages on Instagram or something. So that was super cool. And um, I do think I won that pigeon off, by the way. Oh, hands down. <laughs> hands down. I have toddler joints, but, um, you know, yeah. let's be honest. We're talking to Dean's man. actually a pro at this. Yeah, you are really good at this. Man, it is great to see you. Let's take on this elephant in the room first. What are you working on right now? Right now, I am in the middle of my promotion for my launch for my brand new book, Yoga for Athletes, which you wrote the, the foreword for. Oh, did I? You did. And even though it took me, I don't know, eight to 15 emails to get you to write that forward. It was so <laughs> worth it when it finally came through. Dean, I just want to say before you talk about your book that you haven't figured out the key to life, which is you don't email Kelly, you email me. Oh, see, I, yeah. I don't. Yeah, most people figure that out after three emails. They're like, wait, wait, wait. I think there's someone else I'm supposed to be emailing. I felt a little pressure there. I wanted to get it right. I didn't want to bug you. I wanted I wanted to bug Kelly, I guess. Anyway, so your book is Yoga for Athletes. We're very excited about it. We know what a um, Herculean effort it is to actually write a book and True get fact. it published. What is this? Tell us what it's about, who it's for. What, what was the inspiration? Well, the inspiration was the original reason why I began doing yoga, which was because I was an athlete and I stumbled into a yoga studio while looking for the tailor and... Did the workout, realized how many weaknesses I had, and then from that realized how much stronger and how much better I could be if I did this, you know, these these poses more often. And then from there, that started everything that I did with, you know, starting on a YouTube channel and the Facebook page to talk about the YouTube channel, all that stuff. And eventually that led to the opportunity to write this book. And something that I've always tried to focus on. Uh, not just with writing this book, but with all the content that I create, it's how can I make yoga more relatable to someone like me when I was first starting yoga? How can I make this more attractive or how can I make this more accessible to someone who was not flexible, someone who you know didn't understand the poses, someone who was familiar with a different type of fitness language? 
And that's what we've done with this book is we've made a book that's specifically yoga for athletes. This isn't a general introduction into the practice of yoga. This is, hey, you're a runner. You probably have had some form of runner's knee or Achilles tendonitis in the past. Here's what you can do to fix that. And here are some poses you can use to assess your overall mobility and get a better idea of what you need to work on. So the big focus of this book is presenting the common challenges that athletes have, namely endurance athletes and weightlifters, and then giving them a solution in the form of poses and quick 10-minute routines. I love that. There's so much to unpack here. Just for full transparency, Juliet and I are huge fans of yoga. And when we say yoga, I think everyone has their own thing. You know what I mean, like you say family dinner and you're like, oh, you guys kicking and screamed and throw mashed potatoes at each other too. So it can mean a lot of different things to people. When the more along I get in my understanding of fitness, of position, of human body and how it moves, the more I really appreciate the genius of the original foundation of yoga practice. I think if you understand weightlifting, you jump into yoga and you're like, oh, oh, these people knew something for a few thousand years and this is a really worthy thing to do. You said something really interesting. You felt like you were a good athlete as maybe had, had been defined by you based on your experience and your family and your, your, you know, your, all your athleticism and, and uh, competition. What did it mean when you said you came in and you found weaknesses? Because I think one of the things that Juliet and I are always big fans of is go test your fitness in someone else's swimming pool. Go see what the, you're how fit and how capable you're in someone else's domain. You'll never be as, like, you know, Conor McGregor fighting Floyd Mayweather. He's never going to be as good a boxer, but he went and just, you know, swam pretty well in that pool. I think that's pretty amazing athleticism. Can you talk about where you felt like your athleticism or your weaknesses fell short in this, this Zazen moment of awakening? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So, and just to reiterate, yeah, I think that when you find something that you can't do, I don't know if, you know, this is something that is learned or it's something that we just intuitively know. If you look at that and you're saying, oh, I can't do this. What if I start doing this and get better at it? Like that's the biggest area of opportunity for you to get stronger. It's not by doing the same things over and over again, but by doing those things that really challenge you. And so, I was in a Bikram yoga class. That was my first yoga class. And if you've ever been to a yoga class before, you'll know that Bikram is like the, this is like the most intense, the most physical type of yoga workout. You know, it's 105 degrees, 26 postures, same routine over and over again. The cueing and the instructors are all focused on making you push yourself as much as possible with reckless abandon for your joints. And it's just a, it's a super intense workout. And the first thing that I realized was how hard it was to just hold myself, just to do an isometric exercise in these different positions, you know, because you're used to as an athlete, you're used to doing things quickly, you're used to pushing something, but then it being over within a second or sprinting, but everything's super fast, everything is very intense. And yoga was completely different than that you were holding something for not just three or four or five seconds, but 30, 45, 60 seconds. Yeah, you had to actually breathe in those positions too. Right. And, and that was... Which is annoying <laughs> when you're trying to be stable. <laughs> yeah, that breathing thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the first few yoga classes you'll do, if you have a yoga... If you're doing it at the studio, the yoga instructor will look at you and say, breathe, and you'll realize you've been holding your breath for 30 seconds and you're about <laughs> to pass out. So yeah, it was... Uh, the isometric strength was just 
that was one of the hardest parts. The other part was pushing deeper into range of motion and actually working on mobility. That was something that, you know, I had never, I think I had the typical high school athlete approach to working out, right? I knew how to do conditioning drills. I knew how to do sprints and suicides. And I always tried to be the fastest and usually was in the weight room. I was the guy who was, you know, doing all the extra lifts that I didn't need to do and pushing myself there. So I was really good, if not the best at every type of exercise that I did up until yoga. And then with yoga, it just, it completely me shocked my body. Like there were so many things in that, like, again, those mobility components, the, the isometric strength component, remembering to breathe, like all of these things were things that you just don't cover at all in your other workouts. One of the things you said earlier was that, you know, your mission is to try to make yoga more accessible to people who otherwise don't relate to it. And, you know, I really appreciate that. And, you know, obviously your company is called Manflow Yoga. So you're sort of trying to target men in particular, who I think maybe often don't relate to the ethos of yoga. I can say that's a little bit true for me. I mean, I do struggle because I come from a like sort of hardcore athletic background that I do sometimes struggle with like, I don't really get very excited about like organ playing and oming and a lot of the sort of peripheral stuff in yoga. Like I struggle with that a little bit. Way um, to just show your Western athletic bias. Sorry, yeah. I mean, it, but I'm just saying, I don't, I don't love that. That's not, I don't love that. And I do think there's a lot of yoga that's sort of trying to answer that. And for example, there's a yoga class I go to in my neighborhood that plays like Britney Spears. And it's just, it has a whole different vibe than oming and organ playing. But anyway, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about, you know, sort of why you decided to go the man flow yoga route, why you wanted to sort of make yoga something that was accessible to men in particular, and just sort of talk a little bit more about, you know, your general, like bigger mission beyond even men, just to make yoga more accessible to more people who otherwise might not relate to it. Yes. So the reason why I made the mission kind of focused on men and called it man flow yoga was because... I didn't see many men doing yoga. When I asked other guys to the yoga class with me, they were like, what? No. Like, I'm no, no way. Like, it was. What, what's that about? This is a really important question because yeah. I think a lot of people end up missing the opportunity to learn something about their own movement practice or themselves or how they move or how they stabilize because of this baggage. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just the keep in mind when, when this all happened, when all this was happening, this was 2011. And the our public perception, our, our general popular conception of yoga has dramatically changed since then, like completely. Most metropolitan places you'll go, most most yoga studios that are in big cities, you'll find that sometimes half or even more of the classes are filled with men. But a few years ago, you know, a decade ago, that was not the case. There was just this. There'd be like one man, one man in there. Yeah. Yeah. One man. And there, it was just this very, this is a feminine thing. You don't want to be seen doing this. That was a big part of it. So I wanted to create an image of, you know, a guy doing yoga. And, you know, at the time I was, and I hopefully I still am, I, I looked pretty good. I was pretty jacked. I was pretty in shape. I played lacrosse. I, I thought I checked all those boxes of what a of what a masculine athlete should kind of look like. And I thought maybe I can, you know, maybe I can convince other guys to do yoga because it wasn't so much that yoga was, was making me 
look particularly more jacked. It was more so that it just made me feel so good. Like I felt so much smoother with my movement. I felt so much more in control with my body. I felt like I had just made everything more efficient. It felt like it was a lot easier to move my body. I had the same amount of strength, but I was able to move it with less energy and more smoothly. So I thought if I could create a brand of yoga and just start putting out videos showing, hey, here's a guy doing yoga, maybe I can help other people learn to experience the same benefits that I was getting. I think I just said men because those are the people who weren't doing yoga. But really who it's appealed to, I think you touched on it earlier, uh, Juliet, was is the people who are used to the more traditional or the more intense approach to exercise. Like we're here because we're really trying to push our bodies to the max. We're, we've got something that we're striving to work towards to improve our performance for a particular sport or discipline or goals. And the dialogue of yoga, the culture behind the exercise of yoga just didn't, doesn't appeal to that. So, you know, creating something that was more, more approachable, but also like athlete would listen to it and say, oh yeah, that's cool. This, this makes me want to exercise. That was the intention. I think one of the issues that we've, Juliet and I have struggled with as we've gone in and out of yoga together for 20 years is there's a, a mindset there that you, this is what you do now. This is, all, it's your identity. And we've certainly see that with cycling and we see it with CrossFit and we see Olympic lifting. It, it's useful to find a movement identity. But I think sometimes it's difficult to get good at something if you're just a dilettante. Juliet and I are dilettantes. We love to drop in. We kind of test. Every once in a while we were like, this feels really great. Do you think there's been a change now that we're seeing such a mixing of modalities that it's like, I'm sitting looking behind you. I'm like, oh, there's a squat rack and a rowing machine and free weights. And I'm like, oh, you speak all of these movement languages and you're not just coming out of sort of bro culture, gym, you know, hip sled. Do you think that that has made it a little bit more accessible to people now? They're like, oh, I can steal what I think are some of the best practices out of these various you know, movement disciplines to make a little bit more of a well-balanced fitness? Yeah. So 100% yes. But I also want to mention that in your book, in Becoming a Supple Leopard, your intro talks about you going into a yoga class and... <laughs> stomping right? those girls. Right. Stomping and then them. The <laughs> and then the instructor comes up to you and says, you're really good. What do you do? And you're like, I'm a yoga teacher. <laughs> which I thought was just fantastic. But as far as the, there is a general, I think not just in, you know, in your world, in, in CrossFit and in, in resistance training and weight training, more people doing yoga, more people doing different mobility practices and, you know, things like Pilates and things that probably they would not do before. But also in yoga world, we are shifting away from guru mentality and starting to see many more yoga instructors also lifting weights and also doing all these other things. And from time to time, you still do encounter some yoga instructors who say, oh, lifting weights is bad for you. It's going to ruin your yoga practice. But most people are not doing that anymore. And a few years ago, that would not have been the case. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there was a whole um, thing a few years ago, like culminating in some big article in the New York Times where a bunch of yoga people were getting injured doing yoga, which I think sort of 
flew in the face of what a lot of people thought about yoga because they think, oh, well, I go to yoga because I'm trying to, you know, increase my range of motion or flexibility. And one of the side benefits of that might be, you know, injury prevention or reduction of injury. So then to see all these headlines like yoga, all these people are getting injured doing yoga, I think was sort of a shocker. And I assume it's because, you know, people yoga, were just doing yoga. Yoga is not different than running right. incessantly or just lifting right. or like you can. And, and I think it's just, it's it's sort of that thing. Task we went completion back, mindset. You know, we went back to at the beginning, which is, you know, there's never one thing, right? Like the ideal physical practice would be a mix of lifting and high intensity training and cardio and yoga or mobility training or whatever, right? But people do get in this mentality of like, I'm doing this one thing and the thing I do is yoga. And I do that six days a week and nothing else. You get um, good at it. It feels yeah, good. You yeah. start to get recognized. You start right. to become competent, right? Yeah. So I don't know if there was really a question in there, but um, one thing I did want to ask you is, can you tell us, because I feel that you must have one, one funny or awkward yoga, yoga story. You know, Kelly had his at, in Australia and I've had a few where, you know, there's been some like way too tight classes with way too many people not wearing enough clothes. You know, so I've had some I've had some awkward yoga moments. <laughs> I tell um, Matt Vincent recently said, you know what? I think Kelly, the key to understanding you is you were bendy before you were big. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I don't know. Just are, are there any stories that are that you think of that are funny from your yoga past or has it all been awesome? There is one that came to mind as soon as you said it. And I'm I'm horrified that I'm going to be sharing it with you. I was in a yoga class probably the first year that I was doing yoga in Madison, Wisconsin. I started doing yoga when I was a college student. And I remember looking in the mirror and we're doing lizard. Lizard stretch is basically a deep lunge and a kneeling deep lunge. And I'm looking in the mirror, I'm looking at myself, and then kind of out of the corner of my eye, I see something else. I'm like, what is that? And it's a dude's balls. I just didn't like. I didn't register. <laughs> it didn't register initially. I was like, that, just, "That doesn't. That looks out of place." And then I realized what I was looking at. And then it's the biggest adductor in the I world. Locked, uh, <laughs> I locked eyes with him in the mirror. And then I was, ah, uh, it was. Oh my god, that was. That I was think that's a, probably that was more just, common. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They, yeah. they were probably mortified too. Eventually. They were. I think they saw what was happening <laughs> when I didn't realize what was happening. <laughs> But they didn't say anything like, hey, dude, stop looking. You're looking at my balls. I'm like, I didn't, like, I wasn't I didn't know what I was looking at. I'm sorry. Let me ask you this. Um, one of the features of your new book for athletes, I think, really speaks to this athletic population. Because if you want to go down yoga as a mind, brain, physical practice, it's pretty bomb-proof. Plus some kettlebell swings and, and sprints. And you're, you're getting there, right? You have a community. One of the things I've said about yoga is that it's a taught environment. It's one of the it's one of the first early environments where you could actually get instruction in how to move. Like that was pretty radical in a group setting. I mean, it's like the original group class was yoga, right? But you have done something here where you have made these ten minute chunks working on a specific position because I, I think one of the things that really resonates with me with your work and your writing and your teaching and your yoga is that it's not hey we're going to try to cover every single aspect of your fitness. Like this is cardio dance yoga. This is high intensity interval yoga. You said is here are positions, 10 minute routines, 10 minute prehab. If you want to use that word, down regulation, skill transfer exercise, whatever the language is that works on a specific problem or specific position that will improve a movement solution. Yeah. 
So what's the question in there, by the way? The question is, <laughs> did you find that that was an easier way into the athletic experience versus, hey, we're going to try to cover... Yeah, hey, you need to do a full hour class. Or an hour and a half to really yeah. hit all of your positions. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just, you know, if you're looking at somebody who already has... Most athletes don't lack motivation to work out. Their problem is figuring out how do I fit all these workouts into my weekly workout schedule. That's right. So if you look at them and say, hey, you've got weightlifting, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then on Saturday you do whatever you missed. And then Tuesday, Thursday, you're doing cardio. I want you to do a 90-minute yoga session on Sunday and then just squeeze in a couple of vinyasa sessions. Just go to your local studio and, and do a couple extra 16-minute vinyasa. children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So you know, 10 minutes is first off, it's, it's just an easier sell. Like, Hey, just do 10 minutes of yoga. But, but the thing is it doesn't, Oh, it does. Doesn't it? The thing is though, 10 minutes can actually, I mean, you know this, but 10 minutes of yoga can make a huge difference. You know, if you're doing 10 minutes of, of hip focused stuff, if you're doing 10 minutes of shoulder focused things, 15 minutes here and there, it can make a tremendous improvement. And the cool thing about yoga is, you know, with other, like, like other mobility work, it does make a noticeable improvement. Like you notice it as soon as you finish. It's not something you have to do for two months. You do, you do a few of these exercises, these poses, and you start to move and you're like, wow, this feels a lot better. Like I can actually, my knee doesn't hurt when I'm doing this anymore. My, I can actually lift my arms overhead without arching my back. I think that's really important because, I mean, I definitely fall into that category of person where, you know, I'm a busy working mom and I have this window of time, which is usually one hour to get some stuff done or maybe like an hour and 20 minutes or something. And, you know, I will never, ever choose to do an hour yoga class over doing a workout. Like that's just not who I am as a person. So I'm always someone who's going to have to fit it in on the periphery, the periphery of a workout. And, you know, that's why, you know, we're such proponents of doing 10 minutes of mobilization or soft tissue work or whatever, because it's actually doable for someone like me who ultimately probably isn't going to prioritize a 90 minute yoga class that often. And I think most of the athletes that are reading your book are like that. Yeah. And something we actually did in this book is we, we categorize the workouts. So most of the workouts can be used as a cool down Ooh, workouts. I even like that word. I like that you're using. We used actually, yeah, that was that was a decision we made where we meant to say workouts. We didn't say, you know, routines or we didn't say series or, or flows. We said workouts and the workouts are categorized as cool downs, warm ups or standalone workouts. And some of them are a lot of these are interchangeable. Like a lot of the warm up routines can also be standalone workouts because really they're working on the same things. They're working on strength. They're working on improving motor control or muscle activation, whatever you want to call it. And then the cool downs and the standalone workouts, however, those overlap are focused on flexibility, focused on mobility, maybe a little more erring toward the side of passive flexibility rather than active mobility. But, you know, we've organized them in a way and explained how you can use these workouts by stacking them with other workouts. So a little bit of a right turn here, but appreciating that you are a dad and you're running a business I am. and you know, you have, I'm assuming a busy life. What's sort of your like seven day, like how do you fit it in? What do you prioritize? Like if you were looked at, if you were to look at a week, you know, what are you doing? What's your workout schedule? Like over a seven day period? How, like, what are you doing? And if I do yoga, will I get your biceps? 
Definitely not. I don't know. <laughs> asking for a man. Asking for a man. So I do right. I started lifting weights again for the first time in years consistently about a year ago. So I lift weights three times per week. I do those around the end of my workday, around three or three thirty. And also one reason why I'm able to fit those in is because I had a conversation with my wife to say, hey, this is really important to me. This is important to my business. This is important to my image, which is also important to you. So could you please allow me to have this hour where I can work out and make sure that I make that happen? So that's a big part of it is like having just a conversation and setting the expectation, hey, I'm going to be working out at home an hour, three times per week. The other times, I usually always do some sort of yoga or mobility practice on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And fortunately for me, I can record my workouts. So it is part of work in a way. So I'll probably do 30 to 60 minutes of yoga, you know, three to four times a week where I'm doing a longer yoga session. But I also at night, usually after, usually after Declan has gone to bed and there's no more dad duties to be done and we're just chilling out, you know, watching TV or, or talking, that's when I'll do some targeted stretching. That's when I'll say my ankles have been feeling a little whatever lately or my knees are feeling a little tender. And that's when I'll get out my lacrosse ball, my foam roller, my yoga mat, and just kind of do whatever my body needs. But, you know, doing that and recognizing that Hey, while you're watching TV or while you're just chilling out, you could just be stretching or doing, you know, these rather mindless mobility exercises. Mindless isn't the Thanks. right word, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just I want to but, point uh, out that I really like this because casual Juliet is just a freak. I'm married a mutant athletic freak, and some of us actually have to practice so that when we are the face of our of our movement brands, that we actually can do the things we do. Just so you know, Jay. Well, it's funny because sometimes Kelly's like, Kelly's like, you know, I had to mobilize for like an hour, two hours in a row today, you know, and, um, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. But, you know, you're also, I mean, now that I think of it as a workout, I feel less bad. Oh, for you. Yeah, yeah. Now that lot. Dean has reframed what you're Dean, doing as a workout, Dean which Dune? is basically self-care. <laughs> self, it's another, it's another self-care. form of self-care. Do this for me, Dean. Define yoga. What is yoga? Because, you know, like, there are some colloquial terms that we're battling trying to change the narrative around what does pain mean? What does, what is posture, right? Like I can't wait to do a routine later on where I'm going to take the word routine back and I'm doing a routine of power cleans and rowing sprints. I'm just going to start talking routines when I'm in the NFL and be like, what's your routine? Um, (laughs) What do you mean when you say yoga and how should we think about that as, as sort of with our modern sensibilities? I'm smiling because I posted about this a couple of years ago and it drew hundreds of comments on Facebook. <laughs> I personally believe. Yes. And really it comes up, there are two definitions of yoga that are widely accepted right now. The first is yoga as a lifestyle and the second is yoga as a mindful movement practice combining postures and breathing. So I subscribe to the latter in terms of if I tell people, hey, I practice yoga regularly, that's how I practice yoga. But 
if you say I practice yoga and you do it for the you know the former definition, then it's cool. You're one hundred percent right. Yeah, there's no doesn't have to you know you don't have to practice yoga a certain way. There's there's no right or wrong. I guess there. I mean, I guess there could be a wrong way to practice yoga if it was bad for you. No, we just say it's less effective. Less effective. Less yes. transferable. Less effective. Okay. But that was a debate that was really common. I think I want to say from 2014 to 2017, that was a really big conversation because yogis were getting used. You to- call that the yoga wars? Yeah. But then, so and so, just so I get it right, because I didn't really follow this debate. Are you saying that like people were in there solidly in their camp and they're like, "I'm right, you're wrong," kind of debate? Like they're like, "It's lifestyle and not what you said," and then the other people were like, "No, no, no, it's about postures and breathing, not what you said." Yes. I think that the yogis who had been doing yoga before it started getting popular were telling the people who were doing yoga at gyms and, you know, the guys coming into yoga classes because they heard it was good for flexibility, but also because they heard there were hot girls there. They were having this conversation that, hey, this is how I see it. You're wrong. And like, well, this is how I see it. And you're wrong. And I think we've mostly moved past that conversation. Every now and then I get a message or a comment from somebody who says, this is not yoga. This is stretching. To which I reply, actually, it's stretching, strengthening. There's active mobility work. We also do balancing postures. There's a fair amount of breathing involved. But uh, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Full transparency to central tenets from ideas from Iyengar, who is a, a really incredible thinker about, about this physical practice of yoga. He has a whole yoga style where he was taking a lot of positions that people couldn't access and he kind of created some workarounds. Like, here's a block. Can't reach the ground yet. Here's a strap because you don't have the access. I think one of the things that happens, and I think you were seeing this as you talked about some of the the overreaching injuries that we were seeing, the overextension, the, the hypermobility problems that we were seeing in yoga is that we, like so many other practices, like, oh, this is a clean and jerk, this is a snatch. Until I'm in the position, hip crease below the knee or all the way to the bottom, it's not the movement. So that people will do whatever they need to do with their bodies to end up in the goal position instead of understanding that there is regression and progression. And you, I think that was one of the things that you, we all kind of s- spoke about is especially people new into this journey in language, the first time they come in, they may not be able to do the things or access the positions very effectively. So they contort themselves and work around and our language is compensation to get into those end range positions. Right. That, I think that's one of the things that happens. Do you have a question going on somewhere in there in that brain? I have the answer to your non-question. Okay. Well, hang on. I'm getting there. I just, uh, just need a little context because I think it's really important that people understand what, why what you're doing is so good. Your work gives people regression and progression, which is one of the reasons that I think it's so effective is that you're saying here is the root. What we're trying to achieve is normative ranges, but here's how you scale and here's how you make it more difficult. Am I right in that thinking? I always tell people in my classes and my my videos and on classes in my videos that I record the goal is not to mirror what I'm doing the goal is to feel the posture as it applies to your body 
relative to your level of mobility and your strength. You want to feel the right muscles engaging. You want to feel the appropriate muscles stretching. But your goal is not to just do to just mirror what I'm doing. And that's, I think, what happened at that's, I think, what happened at most yoga studios, because when you are giving a class at a yoga studio, you are giving an experience. It's not just going through the proper technique and constantly talking about proper technique, which is what I do. It is it's so giving boring. a couple of <laughs> it's giving a couple of pose techniques and then saying, and now I want you to just let go whatever's feeling, whatever stress you're feeling from your day. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, well, what about my knee? What should I be feeling? How much flexion do you want here? <laughs> and that's why people were getting to your point before, Juliet, talking about that article that came out a few years ago, proving, you know, saying that people were getting injured in yoga. My wife is actually a PT as well. She has her OCS and she sees a ton of yoga people. And it's primarily because they do forward folds. They go into these extreme degrees of spinal flexion, but they don't do it with any sort of strength or muscle engagement. And so they have you know, herniated disc issues because they're just doing these passive forward folds. So, yeah, I mean, I think to me, it's just all, again, it goes back to the original sort of mission you have, which is accessibility, right? Like we owned a gym for many years and, you know, we wanted to make it welcoming to a whole variety of people and body types. And we did, we actually were conscious of that and made a lot of choices around, you know, who we hired as coaches and what we wanted the vibe to be so that it would feel welcoming to people. And, you know, and I think a lot of yoga is a lot of yoga studios and yoga practices are doing a much better job of that now, even than when I started doing yoga 20 years ago of just making it accessible to people to, you know, you don't, you don't have to have a certain body type. You don't need to be a certain level of flexibility. You know, there are all of these scaled ways you can do it with blocks and bands and whatever. There's just so many ways to actually practice in an effective way. And it seems like that's sort of been like a big part of your mission this whole time is how do you make this accessible to different types of people that don't sort of fit that perfect mold of like the yoga body, the yoga person? Yeah. There's no question there, just by the way, just so everyone's keeping score. What? That was a diatribe, no question. <laughs> I'd like to address it either way, if, if I could. Please. We're having a conversation. Okay. So, so This is the no question podcast. This is just comment on our comment. People will listen to you. It doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. But talking about how to make... I think this brings up the how do we make yoga more accessible. And the first part is the dialogue, right? So... Instead of talking about something, you could talk about something else. You could talk about what's the proper technique here? What are you getting out of this? What muscles are we targeting? Making it more accessible in terms of people with different bodies, different mobility levels. It's just providing different modifications. It's saying, hey, you can bend your knees here. You don't have to lock out your knees for a down dog. You could bend your knees and protect your spine. It's teaching people how to use you know, the blocks and the straps, like you said before. But one of the things that discourages people so much is when they go into a yoga class and they say, we're going to start off reaching down and touching your toes. And you've got the guy who can't even, you know, touch his shins. You don't know me. Doing this <laughs> That's right. Ridiculous position, you know, and can't come close to his toes. So it's, it's really discouraging when that happens. So yeah, just little things like providing modifications and, and it's helpful it was easy for me because I was there in that position when I couldn't touch my toes or, you know, I just had a different body. I had, I had different muscles than different muscle sizes than, than a lot of 
people in the class. So, well, I will say for my part, when I first started doing yoga and that was back in the like one man yoga class, I was always like, yes, yes, there's one man in here. So I'm not going to be the least flexible one. Like I was like excited, like, okay, there'll be this one man in here. You know, I think also when you talk about accessibility too, and sort of how do you, and and again, I think yoga has evolved massively, but for example, I am one of those people that not only does not like, I feel bugged and distracted when someone's like, feel this pose and then your soul will fly into the rainbows in the sky and, and then you'll be self-actualized as a human. Like I really, I find those kinds of like mantras to be extremely annoying and distracting and I can't be alone in that. And I'm not saying they're bad. I think that they really do yes. work for a yes, lot of Yes, you were. I wasn't. I'm saying they're not for me. I think that they're great for some people and some people really find empowerment from that kind of like language and coaching. I, on the other hand, spend the next five minutes of the yoga class being like, geez, that was really irritating. And I don't relate to that at all. So I don't know. I mean, I just think that's, I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, I know that's not how you're coaching yoga. Right. I mean, well, that's the, when you see TV shows incorporate yoga that's what happens right there it's someone in a yoga class like i remember i was watching dexter a couple of years ago re-watching <laughs> dexter for the third time there's yoga in dexter yeah he goes to a yoga class with rita and he's sitting there and she's saying something along the lines of what you just said and he's looking at her and he's thinking i could slit your throat in two seconds you know and he's something like that if you don't watch dexter then you're gonna have to look that up but it's a very if you're not in that world and you don't, and it's not your thing, then then going to a class with the expectation that you're going to work on your flexibility and your balance and, and hearing that instead is, yeah, you're kind of just sitting there like, oh my God, just get back to the poses. Even though chanting does release more nitrous oxide, just saying. No, yeah, I, I mean, and I again, I want to say there. that I'm not against it. I think there's a place for it and I think there's an audience for it and you know, there is, but, um, yeah, it's a moving, I, it's a moving practice in a group. Yeah, it is. And, awesome. and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on that as a practice at all. I'm just saying that it's not for me. And I think it just shows the evolution of yoga that there can be a space for a lot of different sensibilities, basically like an athlete sensibility. You know, and that's the, what you're doing. The world has changed pretty radically in the last 20 years, but definitely in the last 10 years in terms of sort of, we always point out that when we opened our gym, in 2005, you couldn't buy a kettlebell in San Francisco. In the city of San Francisco, you couldn't buy a kettlebell. So that's sort of where we were. Suddenly, you buy a kettlebell at Target. And there's, you know, people are doing high-intensity exercises and movements of like strength conditioning all over everywhere. It's not. So one of the things that I like to point out to people is that like someone like Joseph Pilates would have probably progressed their practice to meet the modern sensibility needs, they would have continued to evolve. Do you think that one of the sticking points of yoga is that we sort of keep this romanticized version, this 19th century version of the original aesthetic, aesthetic practice, and yet really the practice has continued to evolve to meet the needs of the modern human who's doing a lot, who's a lot more sedentary, potentially a lot more athletic. Do you think that's happening? And then this is just your experience here as a part of that, a function of that? I know that's happening. There's a great book called The Science of Yoga by William J. Broad. And he goes into the history of yoga. And if we look back, the idea that somebody was doing a sun salutation on a mountaintop 3,000 years ago is just completely false. Sun salutations, it is. But sun salutations were actually invented in 
the 20th century. And the idea behind them was a form, a combination of British gymnastics and martial arts to help keep people in shape. So it's a it is the idyllic form of yoga that we have didn't exist until the 19th century. And there was progression. It started off as people sitting in a lotus position and, and meditating from there. And working on yoga to be able to sit in that position. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, then slowly we started introducing other like cobra pose came along. And then there was tantric yoga in I think the 6th, 7th or 8th century. And then in the 20th century, that's when we started getting the yoga gurus coming over from India and creating this kind of this form of yoga that we associate with the, you know, the new age yoga, right? That's that's what it's called, new age spirituality yoga. And that developed independently of what yoga was in India, but that was developing in the United States and Western Europe. So, you know, the idea that yoga is the way that we practice it, we see it in yoga studios with the more spiritual components that it's the same as what was practiced in, you know, yoga 3000 years ago in, in India. That's not, just not true. And so there is evolution in yoga, if that kind of addresses the question. And it's for the better. You know, one of the revolutions, I think, is that people can do these things at home and we've decentralized it and almost democratized it. Do I need to feel like I have to have a teacher with me? Do I always have to have an expert next to me in order to begin a yoga practice? That is how yoga was practiced. You used to have to have a, an instructor or, or a master or whatever you want to call it. But no, there's, there's really no reason why you would need to have, why you would have to have someone guiding you one-on-one. -on, -one. on a personal, personal note, something that I actually hear from people who use follow along to my videos, they actually say that they get more instruction and more technique advice and they learn more from my videos than they do from going to a yoga studio, going in person, because it's pretty unlikely that the yoga instructor is going to be able to get to you and adjust your body and show you how to do all these, you know, modify things. Yeah, it's almost like that's a sport. We're playing like this is practice and going to a class can potentially be thought of as like pickup basketball where we're not working on your jump shot and pickup basketball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't like that analogy. <laughs> well, the Sorry. the other the other side benefit of you know just being able to do yoga at home is I'm like the person who tries to go in the back corner of the yoga class and I'm like, please do not talk to me, do not touch me, do your not whole, tell me what your to whole do. living room's a back please corner. Please leave baby. me alone. Do not notice me. I'm over here. Like, do not talk to me, coach. So you know that's a bonus. Those are the people I call to the front of the class. I'm like, yes, hey, I know. Yeah, here. come up yes. here. Yes, Dean. This is um, why you and I get along famous. Okay, so so Dean, first of all, we know again what a gigantic effort it is to get a book out into the world. Congratulations. Um, so congratulations. Thank you. Please tell us where people can buy the book, learn more about what you're doing, find you on the interwebs, and so forth. So this book is being internationally published right off the get-go. I've seen it in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, Italy, France, Germany, Spain, and Poland so far. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it anywhere books are sold. And it's called? Yoga for Athletes. 10-minute yoga workouts to make you better at your sport. And that is what it looks like if you're watching the video. Awesome. And then, you know, Manflow Yoga. Is it at Manflow Yoga? I'm playing dumb here. Yes. Everything is at Manflow Yoga. There we go. Yes. Or manflowyoga.com. And that's where I do more structured programs and schedules of workouts and more specific goals. 
to help you reach your fitness goals with yoga and learn how to do yoga in the first place. Dean, thank you so much for being here. It's so fun to talk to you. It's great to see you, my friend. It was so good having this conversation. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm truly honored and truly honored at your participation in the book. It would uh, it almost made me tear up reading uh, your foreword. That was a really cool, really cool almost. thing. Almost. Next time. Next time. <laughs> All right. Take care, Dean. You guys too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it.